0: Hello and welcome to this, the second podcast episode of Jordan's Pathway, the true life story of one boy's journey with autism by Caroline Frankie and Roland Cavell And I'm your host for today, Roland Cavell. Please check out our previous podcast, which is the introduction to the book, because this is Jordan's story. And here we bring you chapter one, A Difficult Birth. And as ever... It's me, Roland Bushcavell, reading on behalf of Caroline Frankie. Sixteen years ago, I stood in a white walled delivery room in our local hospital, watching my second grandson Jordan being born into this world. At the time, little did we know the future trials my daughter Lisa and her partner Brian would be facing, and how difficult the years ahead would be for us all. Nor did I suspect the wonderful voyage of discovery and fulfilment that would accompany Jordan's arrival this perfectly formed and beautiful, healthy-looking baby who came to life with what would later be diagnosed as autism spectrum disorder. Jordan was Lisa and Brian's firstborn and the fulfilment of all their wishes to start their own family. Even now, when I look back at the heartbreaking situations we went through to bring Jordan to this stage in life, now he is 16 years old, heartache wells up inside me and the emotional pain moves me to tears. Yet what has come with him has been a world of love teaching us how to see life through the eyes of an autistic child and how to respect and understand someone who sees reality in a totally different way to us all. Several hours prior to my arrival in the hospital, I sat at home, just three miles away, pondering the fact that Lisa was being induced sometime in the next 24 hours, three days before her due date. Waiting for the phone call to say that her labour had commenced was a nerve-wracking time. As it was Lisa's first child, despite being induced, the feeling amongst the medical staff was that it would take still some time before Jordan was born. Yet once the procedure was carried out, Lisa went into labour almost immediately. And by the time I received a phone call, she was in the second stage. The phone rang and I was asked to come to the hospital immediately if I was to be in time for the birth of my grandson. This was shocking news. I had no idea it would be so quick. She had been in labour for only four hours and everything was moving far more swiftly than anyone had suspected. I had to move very quickly if I was to be with Brian by Lisa's side in time for the birth. Thankfully, I was prepared and my front door slammed behind me as I hurried along the pathway to my car. With no other thought in my head other than to be there for Jordan's arrival into the world, I drove to the hospital. Lisa wanted me to be there for her and Brian, so I could not afford to be late. Fortunately, with the hospital in such close proximity, it was a mere fifteen minutes before I arrived, thinking I would still have adequate time before the actual event. Thankfully, I found a parking space immediately, parked the car, and hurried into the hospital's main entrance. Brian was waiting for me at the door to the delivery suite. He was hurrying me in, waving his hand, and all of a sudden, everything became very urgent. Cool, calm, and collected, He stood and ushered me in with the words, quietly spoken, she's starting to push, as I rushed into the delivery room. There Lisa lay, all by herself in bed, dressed in only a white hospital gown, covered with a thin white sheet. Red-faced and in obvious pain, she was clutching at the mask that delivered pain-relieving gas and air, desperate to bring her child into the world. Everything had happened so quickly that the hospital staff had not had the opportunity to give her a pain-relieving injection, and no one was in the room at this point other than myself, Lisa and Brian. Brian stood next to Lisa's bed, holding her hand, while I looked on, waiting for my grandson to arrive. At that moment, my attention was drawn to the beep of the baby's heartbeat monitor. Something was wrong. Turning to Brian, I asked him to call the nurse in urgently while I took Lisa's hand in mine. What should have been a regular, steady beep was interspersed with long, uneven pauses, each one causing my own heart to skip a beat. The whole scene had an almost surreal, dreamlike quality to it. Seemingly moving in slow motion, Brian returned with the nurse, but in fact arrived almost immediately. The nurse was all swift, precise movements and intense concentration as she first studied the monitor, then turned to Lisa, staring directly into her face. She seemed to come to an instant decision, and turning swiftly on her heel, she left the room, leaving all three of us there, somehow frozen in time, waiting for each of the long silences to be replaced with the reprieve of yet another irregular beep. Clutching Lisa tightly, I could feel the pulse in her hand, urging her to breathe. Living the moment with her, I was aware of a doctor suddenly entering the room. He was clothed head to toe in green, a green overall, green headwear and a green mask. All I could see was his eyes and they held the same intense focus that I had seen in the nurse's face. In his gloved hands he held a gleaming silver tray full of large metallic medical instruments that clanked in his hands as he neared Lisa's bed. I could see cold hard edges and the reflection of the overhead lighting on polished steel. Turning my own gaze away from this frightening array of implements, I saw the doctor's eyes focusing on Lisa, appraising her as he neared the bed. A shudder ran through me, gripped by anxiety, wondering what was to come next. I looked into Lisa's face as the doctor began the procedure to bring Jordan into this world. Lisa's eyelids were closed tight against the hurt, and moments later her cry of pain filled me with anguish. Its silent echo ran right through me. I was dimly aware of holding my breath, waiting, waiting hoping until, after what seemed like an age, the silence was broken by my baby grandson's first ragged cry. A wave of joy and relief for my daughter came over me. Holding back the tears, I wanted to reach out and hold her. Brian was there at her side, but all I could do was to stroke her hair and praise her, as I found myself repeating over and over, he is here, he is here. Lisa's face was a strained mask, drained of all colour, skin almost completely white. I kissed her on the forehead as the nurse passed by her beautiful baby into her arms for the very first time. Brian's eyes filled with tears as Lisa gently passed in the tiny form of their baby. The doctor had seemingly vanished from the room, leaving almost silently as the three of us shared this unique moment. Jordan, the new centre of our little family, now held our full attention. On 18th of April 1997 at 1 1.18pm, weighing 7 pounds, 10 ounces, Jordan was born into this world. I marvelled that at that point Brian, a man who is normally quite guarded with his emotions, was openly crying as he clutched Jordan's tiny form to his chest and gazed at his newborn son. I also wondered, because Brian too had suffered quite serious health issues recently, whether he had truly believed he would survive to see this moment. The air that I breathe. The months up until Jordan's birth had not been easy. Both Lisa and Brian had suffered quite worrying medical problems, making the latter stages of the pregnancy difficult and sometimes traumatic. I had watched them both go through some troubling times. In the later stages of the pregnancy, Lisa had begun to feel increasingly unwell. She had complained of troubling spots in her vision, headaches and giddiness that made her feel like she was ready to faint. Her body had begun to swell up and her hands and feet had ballooned. At that time she became increasingly dependent on Brian, who was doing marvellously well. Despite having a full-time job, he was very supportive, and I couldn't help but admire him for diligently providing Lisa with all the help he could. But this situation was soon to end in a way that was both surprising and as it seems even now, incredibly unfair to them both. One night when Lisa was seven months pregnant, poor Brian woke up with pains in his chest. At first he ignored it, but he was soon in agony, fighting for each and every breath. Lisa woke up, in the middle of the night, to the sight of him silhouetted beside her, bathed in sweat, his face grey and gasping for air. After a flurry of desperate phone calls, the paramedics arrived, and minutes later, Brian was in an ambulance, being rushed to hospital with what was later diagnosed as a collapsed lung. Lisa and I could not work it out. Lisa said Brian had been absolutely fine when he went to bed and he was a fit and healthy young man. It didn't make any sense. In hospital, after some chaotic activity and many attempts, the medical team managed to re-inflate Brian's lung and he was kept in for observation. But This meant their roles were now reversed. While Brian recovered, it was Lisa who was providing support, traveling to visit him while she herself was unwell. Soon, though, Brian was discharged and he returned to work, but his recovery was short-lived. Once more, his lung suddenly collapsed, and again he found himself in an ambulance being rushed to hospital. There, five attempts were made to reinflate his lung, puncturing his chest each time, but it just wasn't working. The doctors had to make a decision, and to ensure his lung did not collapse again, Brian was admitted for what was quite a major operation. You can imagine my feelings while we readied ourselves for the surgery. My mind roamed, imagining the very worst of scenarios, yet clinging to the hope that all would go smoothly and Brian would emerge fit and well. Thankfully, Brian's operation was successful, and to this day he bears a souvenir of that time, a scar scar. 18 inches long from his left shoulder blade to his lowest rib and clustered around it the puncture marks where they attempted so many times to reinflate his lung. So, once more, Brian found himself recovering in hospital, while Lisa's own ill ill health meant that she had to leave her job as a nursery assistant two weeks ahead of schedule. Yet, she insisted on visiting Brian every day in hospital, taking the train to central London so she could be at his bedside. I was a frequent visitor and one day I remember walking into the ward and stopping dead in my tracks. There was Brian wrapped in bandages and still in obvious pain from the surgery. Lisa holding his hand, her head hanging with tiredness, dark circles under her eyes and her feet so swollen that she had no laces in her trainers. They both looked so sad. I couldn't help but wonder just how long they would be able to cope like this. I made up my mind and I asked them both to come and stay with me. To rest while they recovered and they agreed they would, just until Brian felt better and Lisa's swelling had come down. One endearing side effect of the pregnancy was that Lisa had an absolute obsession for oranges and little piles of orange peel began to appear on my kitchen table. But her stay with me was short-lived, her appointment at the health clinic and there she received a diagnosis of her own. Her blood pressure was dangerously high and her symptoms were getting worse. The doctor was quick to act Lisa had pre-eclampsia, not an uncommon condition, but one that left untreated can prove to be fatal. So it was for less than a week that Brian and Lisa stayed with me, before it was Lisa's turn to be admitted to hospital for observation, and there she remained for nearly two weeks prior to the birth, until she was near enough to her term date to induce. Our roles were reversed. Instead of sitting beside Lisa while Brian lay in the hospital bed, it was Brian sat beside me while Lisa lay ill and awaiting the birth. We became regular visitors, trying to cheer her up and talking about the impending happy day, trying to paint a positive picture of the future ahead. I brought baby clothes to the bedside and a daily replenishment for Lisa's constant supply of oranges. Feeling very sad each time I left the ward, Lisa's unhappy face remained with me each time I left her behind. It struck me for a moment how awful and how sad that this young, healthy couple should suddenly be flung into this situation both of them dealing with illnesses that came with no clue or warning. We were spending so long in hospitals that the cold vinyl-covered floors, fluorescent lighting and plastic chairs seemed like they were all part of our second home. Yet how glad I am to say that they both came through the experience. All these worrying events were the prelude to 18th of April, when dear little Jordan was born into the world. Yet, even after the birth, there was no escape from hospital beds. Lisa remained so that her blood pressure could be monitored, and because Jordan was losing weight, the medical team wanted to keep an eye on him also. It was such a disappointment. They had to stay for a further week under the hospital's care before returning home. At least Lisa had complete bed rest, while Brian and I kept up the bedside chat, giving us time to cuddle Jordan and discuss their plans for bringing him home. The good news was that Jordan remained in his cot next to Lisa's bed, so that they could show him a mother's love and begin to bond. But, even at this stage, Jordan would prove very difficult to feed. We took the pressure off of Lisa by taking turns in helping, and reassured each other by saying it would be fine when we got home. Despite these difficulties, eventually the hospital was satisfied with Lisa's and Jordan's state of health, and allowed them to leave. Her blood pressure levels reduced, and Jordan having taken enough milk to regain a little weight. So, we began settling Jordan into his new home. I remember seeing him in his cot, standing there, looking down at his miraculous tiny form, wanting to stroke his face and cradle his tiny hands in my own. The same feelings arose as when Lisa was giving birth and I wanted to reach out to Jordan to tell him it was okay, to take away his pain at being born into the world and to reassure him that all would be well. Our problems were now seemingly over and we could get on with a normal life once more. Yet for some reason, troubling thought echoed in my mind. Time will tell. Time will tell. Thank you for listening to this, our second podcast and reading of chapter one from Jordan's Pathway by me, your host, Roland bush taking on the voice of Caroline Frankie, my co-author and grandmother to Jordan. We do hope that you'll get the opportunity to find our book on Amazon, where the paperback and Kindle versions are available. And that's all from us this week. And this is me, your host, Roland Bushkavel, wishing you a very happy pathway.